Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, I'm curious. Have you started writing the emails yet? Still not doing it. No, nah, cool. All right. Well, for anyone who's listening to this, <laughs> if you do want to motivate Charlie to go and start writing some emails, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, and you might just get that golden ticket to be the very first person who receives the very, very first email of the Property and Investing Show. I've been thinking about approaching it like a property investor, though. I want to use leverage. I want to use a lot of leverage. So what I'm thinking of doing is hiring someone, you know, using someone else's time, like property investors use someone else's money, the banks, to help me with the emails. Like the property investor solution. Might work. (laughs) Just wait for the prices to drop and then I'll get in. No worries. Yeah, cool. Just time the market, Charlie. I'm with you on it. Let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. These roundup episodes have to be my absolute favorite to make. They really are. Would you uh, like to know why? All right. Yeah. Why is this? All right. Two reasons. Two main reasons. Number one is this is the only way I've found to be able to justify spending so much time researching the property market. <laughs> yep. Yep. I yeah. got you. Because it's for work now. No, totally. It's for the podcast. It's not totally. just because I'm addicted to the property market. I need the new phone. It's going to be quicker. <laughs> yeah, so if you're, a, if you're a chef, right, you know, going out for dinner is research. But if <laughs> you're, you're not, body, yeah. you're just going out for dinner where it's like, no, 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 this is – got to make sure that we are comparable to this content here. Like, you know, it's very important. You know, <laughs> is the steak better at that restaurant than our restaurant? I need to know. <laughs> I got no idea. I just need to see what that rub tastes like. That is fit. Exactly. That is fantastic. <laughs> All right, what's right, your second, second point? point is the discussions you and I have in the lead up to the episode. So we'll, you know, pick out some news or we'll discuss some articles or what's happened in the month. And I just find it so incredibly fascinating, the back and forth that occurs. Where your mind versus my mind goes, the potentially heated discussions that happen off air. The, 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 the disagreement is just like, it's like two kids bickering. It's like, fine, we'll cover it on the podcast. <laughs> As if that's like what reasonable humans do. <laughs> but yes, I'm, yeah, I'm with this is where we take it out. I totally. think this is the way to do it. Totally. All right, I'm going to jump into the first point now. I got this one covered. So right. we're going to do RBA. They have just raised interest rates another 0.25. What a shocker. <gasps> Didn't see it coming. I did. Yeah, it was a very expected rate rise. Um, it also highlighted by like January more than February because in January <laughs> there is no RBA meetup. Because they're all on holidays. Yes, that makes yeah. sense. Economy stuff. Now, uh, there were like little whimmers out in the property industry that there would be no rate rise in February or speculations, I'll call it. And the idea being was that in December and January, we're likely to see like people will spend for Christmas, but then we're going to see a massive contraction as households become concerned about the household budget and we're going to see like retail spending drop or uh, inflation coming down and that would signal um, pause, right? That would signal the RBA didn't need to raise rates. However, it turns out Australians went on an absolute spending spree and inflation is 
high. So yep. we got the raise and a 0.25. Surprisingly, there was even a couple out there tipping a 0.5. So I went completely the other way versus the forecasts in December and January, which I thought was interesting in itself. Now, we got that through and now the forecast is that there's probably going to be another 0.25 next month now is where things are looking from the news I've read from here. Yep. However, I don't want to just cover what has happened and where it's likely to go. Grant, I'm really curious, and I'm using your term curious here. Love did you ever think term. rates would get this high? When they first started raising, did you think we would see a day where we've crossed the 3% now we're at 3.35, I think? Yeah, great question. The answer is yes, I did. I actually thought that this was going to go and get to uh, a cash rate of about 4%, so 0.7-ish percent. Really? Right now. Yeah, I thought it was going to stabilize just underneath it. Um, and you go, well, Graham, why were you thinking that? And I thought that like the over-the-counter over investment property mortgage would be sort of sitting at around 6.5%. And so that's what I... That's what I'd put into all of my sort of spreadsheets, my estimations, my plan and everything like that. I'm like, I need to be able to weather the storm when and if this thing hits 6.5%. Because I, where, did that, where did that come from? How did you come up with that number? A little bit of looking at history of going where has interest rates kind of sat previously and I'm like, where could it potentially normalize? And then a little bit of skepticism on at what point would I think that something might really break <laughs> And I'm like, surely something has to break by then because the one, one of the things that I always do is I always over-budget for stuff, right? So if I'm like buying an investment property, I'll over-budget for the deposit. I'll over-budget for everything because I'm like, uh, situations are always worse. And so I've looked at like this as a really bad situation of like, well, if I'm paying 6.5% for my interest on my mortgages, I'm like, that's a horrific situation. I'm like, i got to factor that in. Full well expecting it to be less of <laughs> me going, and if it lands at 5.5, great. Like, I'm completely geared up for this. No worries at all. I'd just much rather play that game. So I'm like, I factored in 6.5. I didn't think it was going to get there, but I was like prepared for it to get there. Yeah, I've been preparing for 7%. Yeah. I dislike how likely that is looking now. I know, really I know. <laughs> To my 6.5, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, just because I budgeted for it, like, I'm like, you don't need to test it out. <laughs> like, stop looking at my spreadsheets. <laughs> Dude, um, I'm curious. Like, when you saw an increase at 0.25, and I know you and I spoke about it and we both expected something like this would come. Like, when it happened and then they said, like, it's potentially going to be another month or two of these, like, has anything changed for you? I've noticed one behavioral change in myself personally. And then I'll notice that an expectation I had has changed as well. So I'll go through the expectation I had first. So number one, I actually thought something significant in the economy would have broken by now. We've seen like it's not it's the not the rates are at an all-time high, it's the change, right? A 3% change is significant. Yep. And I really thought that there would be more of something break. A business out there that was over-leveraged, a significant one, and I don't, I, again, I'm not wishing unwell on anyone or any businesses, but I did think we would see more break by now. I am surprised by how well things have, have held up and continue to hold Bu up. Builders going bankrupt? That's because they're smaller builders. is probably not the biggest break that you were looking for. I don't think any of the builders have been significant enough to have an impact. Huge and I think leverage. there's yeah, gotcha. so much demand that there's people coming in to clean up that work. So yeah, if a builder so goes bankrupt and someone else comes in to finish the job, well, that's still moved in the economy. Not great for the builder, 
but all the trades that were potentially already working for that builder still found a way to get paid, hopefully. Uh, it's not a significant enough hit for a change um, where something more substantial would need to have happened where it like, would significantly impact the economy. And you can look at this, right? So like Bear Stearns going under in the States. Yeah, that was a significant yeah. one that signaled a change. Like they're the big ones that move things in that way where uh, builders, don't get me wrong, are important and I like builders, but it's like if a heap of builders went under and like there was no one available to build homes, that would be a significant change where it's like, all right, we've got to change things as a country here. So we haven't seen that yet. Right, we really yeah. haven't seen that. Um, and the indicator I'm looking at that is unemployment as well, going like if people are really laying people off, which like unemployment is at an all-time low practically right now, where if there was – if that number had moved substantially, again, we would be seeing another change here. But I'm just, I'm still not seeing it, right? I'm still seeing people scream for more people. Like unemployment is like the demand for people in a variety of sectors is super high. Do you, even in our own experience, Grant, in our own networks in business, how many people are still hiring? We're still hiring. So people still, people still ping me about do I know any developers, engineers, et cetera, to place into their organizations. And every restaurant and cafe I go to, you know how they put that little A4 printed piece of paper sign saying like help wanted, help wanted. Like, look, looking for casual employees, looking for part-time, looking for a kitchen chef. And I'm like, like there's so much demand <laughs> for people. And I, I concur. I concur with you. Like this is not a – Can is I not put a little a, one in here that was interesting? Yeah. I know people right now that are caravanning around Australia and the way they're funding their trip – is because there's so much demand for casual staff that is go to a stand and they'll like go no. pick up, which, Amazing. yeah, because they can go anywhere and get premium rates. So yeah. if you work in hospitality right now, they're just jumping around the country in this case. Totally. I'm like, this is like, if employment was in check, those type of opportunities wouldn't be there. And they're kind of encouraging the behavior of others. So totally. I look at that and go, how interesting is that? Yeah, it, it, The thing has not broken to your point. Yeah, haven't seen it yet. Now, secondary, right? This is the other one that I'm like, again, it's interesting that this thought came up to, for me. So I'm, I'm in the market for a new car. I actually would like to get a car to do more like weekends away, which heads up, if the economy's in ruins, like I shouldn't be thinking about taking holidays now, should I? <laughs> yet here I am because I'm like, well, my economy's okay. So yeah. if everyone's doing that, which noting, Grant, we just went away for a weekend and it was hard to get a tea time on the golf course. Gosh, it was hard to find a place. <laughs> the country club was packed. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, these are the types of things I would expect to be a little bit different if the economy was in a dire place. Um, totally. But point being is I'm still looking at a car, looking for a car, considering a new Toyota Prado, and I'm looking at that and for the first time I'm sitting there and going, <sighs> when rates were at zero and I'm getting nothing on my money, the idea of spending money on a car is like there's not much of a loss. But when I can mm. get, you know, five and a half percent on my cash in an offset account versus having the car, well, now it's like, ooh, this is getting interesting. Like and there would, are opportunities for cash. And I saw that as something that was really interesting with myself. Uh, so I've, I've mentioned here that I'm going on a big accumulator run this year. But I was so fascinated coming into sort of the accumulator run with just how comfortable and happy I was sitting on cash, like in offsets account, in offset accounts. I'm like, Usually it's like cash is trash, like invest the cash, get debt and all these things. And I'm like, I actually feel like this is the <laughs> this isn't a completely cash has got okay value moment. again. I'm like, I'm like, this makes me comfortable, it makes me sleep at night. And when I feel appropriate to go and swing the bat, which I have, 
I'm like, I'm feeling good. And so it was interesting for myself personally because I'd prepared mentally to that 6.5. I'm like, nothing has really changed to this point for me. I think I'm more astutely aware of, okay, wow, is how far above what I expected is this going to go? Like now I've factored in 7% similar to as you have. I'm like, all right, should I be thinking about eights now? <laughs> or do I think something's going to break? Like, no, so you that totally was the- do seven. And, you'll do seven and a half. You'll resist the eight. Eight feels so much closer to 10. You're just not going to totally, do that. Totally. Can so I that was something that else in that too. though? I really want to dive into this though. We're in very different positions. So I'm doing a consolidation year, which if anyone's listened to previous episodes of the podcast, I've accumulated a good portfolio. This year I'm trying to consolidate, get the pro- uh, work on the properties. You're in an accumulator year where you're going to try and buy four this year. Yeah. Awesome goal, by the way. I love that. Now, for me, a part of my strategy is that I'm consolidating, raising cash buffers so that when an opportunity comes up, I can strike. Yep. Now, even if interest rates cut, right, big call, I'm still following my plan because it's what I'm looking to do for me. The rate thing isn't as effective. The byproduct of that, though, is that because I'm stacking cash to a potentially acquire, it's also a great defense if rates keep going up. So I'm kind of like in a very fortunate position in that uh, retrospect versus yourself. Now, this is where I think it gets interesting for someone who's doing an accumulator run like yourself is going, at what point does your plan change? If rates keep going up by two fives, are you good with it? If things go up more drastically, have you got triggers or signs for yourself that goes, oh, set of four, we might get three this year or two? Yeah, so I have started mentally adjusting the the four to a three. Like I'm like, oh, if I get three, I'll be happy. If it's four, I'm like, celebrate. So it's like, and so I've put a number around it. So I'm like a 1.5 to a two mil. I'm like anywhere between there. I'm happy. Like I'm, I'm like, cool, that could be four at smaller size. I'm like, now I'm just starting to manage my own expectation on going, well, if it does hit seven, seven and a half, maybe eight, and something's not breaking where it's chain, fundamentally changing the market, I might change my my approach. Right? Like that's just- Is eight, eight the is number? Huge. I feel I feel like the way you said eight, I feel like that's the number. Eight is the, eight is the number. So I've- I've refactored everything to think that it's going to land about seven. So I've bumped it up from my 6.5 to a seven, but I'm like, eight is the, oh shit. Okay. What am I going to do? And it's not an, oh shit from a, I'm going to have to sell down. I'm going to have to do anything. It's just a, let's stop and think about this accumulator stage (laughs) and look at what we're going to do next. Uh, The second one, and I was thinking about this was if I saw them do like a massive swing of the bat of like a 0.75, if I saw a 0.75, that is the RBA actively trying to break something. And I kind of wish they would do that though. Aren't you sick of this like, you know, oh, we're just going to do a little 2-5, like whack a percent out, do it properly, <laughs> come on. And and so it sounds odd. I'm okay with that. The only thing that I'm not okay with is seeing what they break. If they break a bank that I've Us. got debt, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like if they break a bank that I've got a lot of debt with, maybe I'm not going to be so happy about it. <laughs> like just don't break that bank. But I'm like, but if they break something, I'm like, oh, is this an opportunity or is this not an opportunity? Like, is this going to negatively impact me? Um, but I don't see that happening. But it's like, that's the number. If I saw a 0.75, Charlie, I'm just like, cool, pull up stumps for a second and just reassess. But if they drop rates or increase rates at 0.25, either way, then I'm still on. And if they pause on an increase, I'm still on. Like, I'm just, I, I know what I've got. I've, I've factored it in and I'm going hard. 
Um, but yeah, they just have to do something crazy to sort of knock me off my box. All right, so speculations from here. I, I do uh, picking up what you're putting down. Um, what do you think happens next? And this is just speculation. Like we are obviously was, not economists. Was, yeah, was, I'm just curious. Like you, we we all got to make some sort of. I know they say you shouldn't forecast, but like we're all forecasting all the time. Like we're all operating from some base level of assumption. So, yeah, I reckon now something will break at a cash rate of four to 4.25. And to your point of something will break. I'm just like, I just don't think that, I don't think every business across Australia can support such a rapid increase and such a fast rate, like such a high increase rate at such a fast rate. I'm like, something has to break. And I'm still, to your point, I'm surprised that something hasn't broken yet. And I'm like, so call that, put 2.5% on top of that. I'm like, at seven, it's like, they have to stop. In my opinion, in my little speculative opinion, I'm like, I thought it was going to be lesser, but I'm like, no, I'm saying seven over the bank rate at banks for mortgages. That's what I'm saying. Has to. What about you? All right. So for there to be a change, something needs to change first is my view. So I'm watching closely uh, unemployment. I think unemployment is a really key thing here because if all of a sudden the unemployment rate starts screaming up, I think that would be a pause. Um, or a change in direction even. And then second to that is something going bust. So whether that's something a default on a debt. Scale. Yeah, large scale. A country goes default um, or the, another country starts cutting rates would be you know a big change in environment. Um, if a large business, and I mean like significant, like something listed in like the top 100, right, goes under and there's like a significant repercussion to that, that would be a, a big change as well. But until we get something of that nature, I don't see anything changing from here. I think they're going to just keep doing these two fives till it happens. So you Which is dangerous considering rate, it's a lagging indicator, right? They could have already gone way too far and then that would have come. But that's what history kind of shows, in my opinion, is environment changes, they pivot. And if you look at the cash rate as a chart of like over months of like they put it up, it's like these little steps and then it screams down. Yeah. And there's always an event that kind of consists with that happening, whether it's 2008 or whatever it is. Um, as for like my forecast from here, I'm going to go three more raises from here. Actually, no, no, I'm going to take that back. Two more. Do, do you want to hear some wild speculation? Go for it. That's all we're here for. <laughs> like not. So um, I actually reckon. Yeah, do you know the only the difference thing- between us and uh, the economists? We what? know what we're saying is bullshit. We, they uh, we they believe the it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's about the point. Actually, that is a rather so, sad point as well. So I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. I actually think the thing that is going to break is already broken. I just don't think the reporting's come out. I don't think it'll come out to the end of the quarter. What broke? I don't know. I just I, I reckon there is a business out there that is broken. They're on borrowed time. right? And I know how these things operate. They're on borrowed time right now. Dude, if they just... If they just held off and did zeros for the next two months, three months, they would just get found out and it would just be like it's broken. So I actually think that this might be a holding strategy. I think they'll just keep bumping it up, 0.25. Complete. So you're like there's some CFO out there right now that's like, guys, there's board meetings happening where it's like we are screwed and you think they're desperately trying to refinance or scramble. Interesting. And they're just just like I just don't want to – I just don't want to release the quarterly results to the AGM or something like that. I just want to hold on to it. And they just know, and so they got two months left. 
I, yeah, but even I then, you can do some very tricky accounting to make things totally look can. in a certain way. And this is where it's like a really interesting idea. I mean, we run businesses, right? So we see things potentially a little bit different than others. But I think much of society has this lens that it's like a company would go bankrupt and then you instantly see it. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that business didn't work, tick it out. And it's like, no, that's not how it works at all. They held it's on like for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They start doing things like selling plant equipment and leasing. You know, if they own a building, they'll sell it and then they'll lease one. You know, that's a way of freeing up some cash and they'll say something like, oh, it's all right, we'll get there, we'll get there. Or they'll start making uh, changes to their structures or pays or stop giving bonuses or whatever it is. Like a a company can literally try and avoid bankruptcy for years if they have the right setup. Did they'll also raise funds to go and try and fund like a new initiative and just like funnel some of that internally. And so it looks really good on the books, but yeah, I've seen, but yeah. So <clears throat> that's my view. I reckon that I reckon one of them's already, they already know the writing's already on the wall. We just don't know what it is. <laughs> there's a, there's some great documentaries on Netflix about companies doing some shady things with the books and even the Madoff uh, documentary, oh, I thought in recent times, amazing. but oh, that stuff God. happens. Greatest Ponzi scheme ever. <laughs> it's crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> Interesting. So Grant thinks there's uh, someone already out there. It's a silent destruction going on. I, I understand that. Totally. All right, there let's move on to the next item on our list here. So CoreLogic Report, probably the best PDF I receive every month, in all honesty. The only newsletter I look forward to more than my own. <laughs> and if you want that newsletter, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Shameless plug, right? <laughs> It was great. I had to slot it in there. What about yeah, I was teeing you up for that one. All right. So should we? Co- we'll cover the stats really quickly here. But uh, before right. I do, were you at all surprised? Nah. Nah, yeah, it's like when nothing's it. changed, why would you expect to change is one yeah, of the totally things. Up. I think we're it's more just up. seeing out part of the cycle. Oh, interest rates are uh, going up. I mean, price is probably going down slightly. Okay. Thanks for the logic. You validated it with data. Can I use an analogy here I use here? Okay, I just think of it like this. Imagine, um, Grant, you've just spent the whole week eating delicious but food, food, but it's terrible for you and you haven't been going to the gym and you haven't been getting sleep. You go to the scales, what would you expect? It to have increased. Absolutely. And then conversely, you know, you've been following your plan, eating really well, working out, what would you expect? It to decrease. Right. So if, you know, as an economy, inflation's still high. All the things are kind of the same. I'd expect the trend to continue. I really would. And that's as I read out the idea is that basically things fell by 1% nationally. Yeah. Shocker. Uh, I wonder why they put rates up. Yep. Shocker. It's, still, it's, a, bit, it's yeah. a bit of that. Totally. Yeah, that was, there was nothing sort of much coming out of that report. I will say, just quickly reading these out, Sydney uh, fell by 1.2%. Uh, Melbourne, one point one. Brisbane, 1.4. Adelaide, 0.8. Perth, 0.3, the smallest, yes. Hobart, 1.7%. That was actually the largest, which was interesting. Darwin, 0.1%. And then Canberra, a full 1%. So there is a mix of results in there. Uh, When you look at overall, it's still kind of crazy. And this is the one thing I will say that was interesting. If you were to look at the last 12 months, and I'll actually do this by the annual. I think this is a better number to look at. Sydney has now fallen like in the last 12 months, 13.8%. Adelaide's actually up 6.9%, which I thought was really interesting. And Perth's up by 2.7%. 
and Darwin too, 3.7. Keeps it really interesting. There was one article within this that I thought or one little section that is worth really talking about or discussing further, and that is the lack of listings, like places aren't getting listings. Can, we, can I unpack the psychology of this a little bit before we dig into the point? Totally. All right, so let's pretend you know you've got a nice house and you don't need to sell it. Key thing here, you don't need to sell it. If you're looking around at prices, uh, you know, falling, would you sell it right now? No, no chance. Would you, ev- would you even list it? No. You just wait. Totally. So the repercussions of a, when a property market goes into decline is that people just don't list because they're going to wait until they can get a good price. So if everything they see on the news is, you know, property prices are falling another percent, they're down 10%, and you've got a house in Sydney worth a couple of mil, like why would I take that type of haircut? I'm just going to yeah. wait and I'll do something else. But so what in turn happens in this type of environment is that the people that are listing houses, and there's still legitimate reasons, and I'll give them right now, if someone's moving overseas or interstate, they'll likely list. If someone at deceased estate, if someone passes yep. on, well, that in many cases, if not taken on by inheritance, will list or upgraders. So if you're suddenly got a kid on the way and you need room for a kid, you better bet have you'll to. list. So there's many reasons why people would still list, but the ones that don't have to don't, and it just puts a tighter squeeze on this. Yeah, I was thinking about this as well. I'm like, cool. If you did want to sell, I'm like, it is so hard for you to find a place because listings are down and then your backup plan of, well, maybe we just rent a place is gone. <laughs> like, how, have you seen all the news about like people lining up, 100 couples lining up to go and check out an apartment and stuff? The uncertainty for you to actually have a dwelling if you decide to sell is that scares people. That even scares me of going like, we just extended our lease here by six months to lock it in because I'm just like, I don't want to deal with any volatility. I might just lock it in, push it out. They've increased rents. I'm like, whatever. I just need the stability. Let's just keep going on this. I went for a walk and uh, Saturday and I thought I was going past an auction. It was people everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, there must be an auction on, which I must admit I like to get in there and I always just want to put a bid in just for no reason. I'm not interested you in the property at all. never seen it. I'm going to buy you a paddle to take out on your Saturday walks. Just so you can like, throw a paddle Just in around. case. <laughs> just in <laughs> case. Um, <laughs> open inspection for a rental. Open inspection. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, people yeah, trying to insane. see this thing. It's insane. And I was like, wow, like renting in this area is tight right now. There is a lot, there's a lot of demand taking, uh, chasing very few properties and property types. So and, I and certainly can relate to that point as well. Um, yes. so for people that haven't read the report, and I would encourage people to get on the list for that. And we'll link to it. National and new listings were down by 25%, which as a stat I just think is remarkable. Absolutely yeah. remarkable. So listing volume is getting lower. I do uh, at least once a week jump on realestate.com.au and just have a look around at what's available. Even I'm noticing it is like there's fewer red dots to click on. Like there's fewer new things to come through and it's like the amount of the space between new listings of like, you know, what, you know, listed five days versus in the last 24 hours, it's nothing like it used to be. Yeah. Used to write that. Uh, this is just, this is an uncertain market where, and it's, it's funny, I feel like it's a two-layer. Your point on, well, if the prices are dropping, why would I want to sell? But then the second point of if I sell, I don't even know if I'm going to get a place. <laughs> like there's just nothing coming up for me to buy into. So even to that point, like, there's a third layer. It's like probably the people are looking for another place and they're like, there's nothing desirable here. <laughs> there's someone like, I don't even want anything. 
Like it's just a, it is what it is. So can we play this through? Oh, let's do it. I got an idea here. All right. So RBA is raising interest rates. Mm-hmm. When they raise interest rates, what it actually does is, you know, obviously tightens surf- serviceability and stops certain people from buying. It's also putting pressure on our property market where the prices of property are falling, right? which is fascinating itself, which is leading to less listings. We've also got the issue of that when we raise interest rates, developers don't have the ability to build profitably, so they don't. So there's less projects coming through and less new homes coming through, which just makes this squeeze even tighter, right? You can see there's this squeeze building where it's like, well, less listings, um, more people seeking rentals, harder to find a place. Like The whole property market is slowing down. The velocity of this property market and new buildings coming online slowing down. Then as a counter to that, we've got our government just like ramping up immigration hard. So more people coming in, creating this even bigger squeeze, um, which I thought there was a really interesting article as well that came out this week, just as a little like news within news, is that now China has opened things. They've asked all the people that were midway through degrees in Australia to return. They're not going to acknowledge any of the accreditation you've received unless you go back and complete it. Yeah. So, so there's no ability to stay. They're forcing many people to come back through, which I is about 40,000 people. found that interesting. Yeah. So essentially, if you were Chinese and you'd moved back to China and were doing online learning for an Australian university, China has said, we will not even recognize your degree if it was an online degree. And Are you a bit sus on this, just as a side note? So it seems like if you're China, like what's the incentive here? I think, yeah, so this is uh, – d- depends on how deep you want to go, but I, I feel like this is trying to support each other's economy. I think that China wants people to be over here because it opens up the borders and sort of supports trade and does all those kind of things without a huge impact on them. Um, but then also, obviously Ch- Australia wants it because it brings people back. It brings the money into the economy. I, the, the article was like, it was like, what, $39 billion a year of industry or something like that. Like it, it is a big the industry. Uni- the universities, like this is great news for the universities. It to- really totally. good news. And it's great news for property investors. But I, I found that I found that interesting, but I can also understand it, right? Because China doesn't want all these people sitting in China learning. They want them to immerse themselves in the Western society. They want to, to be there and actually bring the money back as opposed to trying to just live off the economy there. But, and I think I actually think this is a good thing. I don't see this as a negative. I think this is a net positive for China, net positive for Australia. This is this is the right thing. I completely agree. It's a great thing to have good relations with China. I'm for it. I love their sending people here. I'm a fan of China. I really am. What I find interesting in this is, do you see like, so we're not building enough houses. People aren't listing. We're bringing people into the country. Like, not good math. <laughs> Math I not makes sense. Not good, <laughs> yeah, like I, totally. You don't need to see the exact figures to go. Hey, this doesn't lead to a good place. The TPB landing on itself. Yeah, I get you. So, where do you think this lands? I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally. This is the thing I look at it. But when a government introduces policy like this, it appears to me as like they're intentionally supporting the economy. This is a very intentional play to make sure or hopefully make sure we don't end up in a recession. Totally. My challenge with it is that when you look at it, it might actually have the uh, effect we don't want of it. It may actually cause more inflation. It may actually cause things to go in a direction we don't want because it's a form of stimulus. 
more people in the country is more people buying things. It's more food. It's more housing. It's more electricity. So inherent in immigration coming in, demand for things increases also. GDP goes up or can and should in this environment. So what I wonder is that inherently through policy like this, are we actually extending the interest rate hike cycle? Are we stopping things from falling in a significant way where that would be the thing that would signal the rank change in itself? We're kind of like, you know, the snake eating its own tail type of yep. scenario here. It's an interesting concept because it's fascinating because those 40,000 Chinese students that are coming in, like we know who's going to pay their rent or buy them an apartment and stuff, right? Like it's cash coming in from overseas. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, well, to your GDP point, like this is not just the GDP from Australia exporting things and like servicing itself. This is how do we bring in cash from external parties into Australia to help the economy continue to boost. And then I, I feel like the only logical explanation to this is that they feel as though um, corporate Australia will just figure itself out. Builders will figure itself out, just build the things. It's almost like, well, if we just push the demand in, the supply will figure itself out, right? There will be an equilibrium. Yes. That will, and so it's more of a, cool, well, we just need to make sure that we have the demand. Rest of Australia, figure out the supply. <laughs> and so it's like, well, we'll just keep filtering on the demand and then we'll just help you it's with the supply. very financial. pro for property. It's a very it, big pro for property if- it's all coming through because um, what so, do they say in student accommodation is Melbourne and Sydney predominantly is where that is funded and where the universities are. And then internal migration is that the other states kind of like once people come to Melbourne and Sydney, eventually they migrate to other places. Um, if I could make a request though, if they could all stop buying Toyota Prados, <laughs> that would be fantastic. I, I want my car. I want the my car. weight on a Prado has been really, really challenging for me right now. i got a question for you. Is this because of the type of the volume of population increase? And, and Michael Yard needed a great tweet about this, which I thought was fantastic around the rate of increase in population to the increase in dwelling approvals. Do you think that this is the hard run to high density living? Like, do you just see the Melbournes and Sydneys of the world just building high rises as quick as humanly possible now? Like this is just because the the people that are coming in are the ones that are completely supportive of a two bedroom apartment, and that is just Australia's response to it. Of how do you build one thing and accommodate a thousand of them? I actually know a few people that work in government. I do, and do you know the thing that I am most fascinated by? They're really smart. I totally. We often sit here and say, "Oh, look at government making these terrible decisions." What you know? How dumb are they? The people I know who work in government. Smart, really smart. And one of the things that they know and we know is the ability to control a narrative. Yep. So I look at some of the things governments do and let's say they want to get a policy across the line is they'll actually do something before it to make the policy easy to get across the line. Yep. So, for example, you might see all these articles come out on like, you know, we're destroying Australia's climate. And then when they want to get a green energy bill across the line, I guess it's a bit easier, right? Because everyone's worried about the environment. This is a solution to the problem. Yep. Correct. So I look at this right now and I go, if you wanted to get the population of Australia behind the idea of building more high-rises and doing more apartment living and getting high-density approvals over the line, what would you do? This. This is the exact thing that I would be doing. It's like, oh, demand's through the roof and they all look like this. 
And you go, have you started what? to see news articles at all coming through about, you know, Australian government funding like uh, what do they call it? Cost effective housing or lowering some housing? <laughs> totally. Yeah, one hundred forty thousand of the beasts. And how did you feel when that came up? Personally, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm like, this is good for my portfolio and it's good for the people that are coming to Australia. Well, I'm not as capitalist as you, clearly. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is really great for the people that can't afford a home because, you know, housing's really expensive in Australia. I think it's great we're doing something to step in. And I'm like, hang on a second. What's going on? No, see, I'm just always skeptical. Skeptical. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. They don't do anything for they don't always just do things for other people. I'm like, what else is there? But I get you. Have you seen the TV show on Netflix, uh, House of Cards? No, but I know of House of Cards. I've never watched it. Uh, I'm convinced that it's the government is more like House of Cards than we realize. I think it's very strategic. I think it's very intentional. I think they release articles all the time. Like, do you remember when uh, not too long ago the Greens were releasing like rent freeze? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's ads for that everywhere. Yeah. Like, so there's an intentional leak. They put something out there, see how it sits, and then they'll make a decision whether they actually run on that policy or not. Yeah, it's a test run. Like, they're completely, they're very, very clever. So if you're in government right now and you want to see certain policies across the line, I can assure you they sit there stacking the deck going, how can we set up an environment so that we can get people on board for this? Where they're like, yeah, absolutely, more towers in Melbourne. Let's do this. We need to help the people. Where in other times they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, because they needed. Now, I don't think that's conspiratorial. I think that's, you know, smart of government to do if they want certain things to do. If I was in government and there were certain things I wanted to get done, I would be strategic as well. Totally. Ditto. Ditto. So that's what I think we're seeing the eyes of from here. Now, just curiously, Grant, did you know that on average – each politician in Melbourne owns 2.4 investment properties. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. Thanks, Albanese. I think he's got like five or something. <laughs> yeah, just quickly on that one. If you're going to run for uh, prime minister as like, you know, battler with a, sing- you know, raised by a Dicker. single mother, doing it tough, and then you're an absolute baller, like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like struggling to be related. Uh, yeah, completely. Relatability out the window. But- uh, ScoMo lost that just as an FYI, right? That was clearly some Albanese cobble band. Although, um, congrats, you got listed. I hope you're doing a lot of things right. I love it. What do you think? Wrap it up. Let's do it. Awesome, uh, man. I don't. I just want to say, I actually, I appreciated this episode. I think it was awesome. I uh, just want to say, everyone to, who's listening to this, if you go, I want to be notified every single time you. Hang on. This. Did you just beat one of those guys that like likes your own Facebook post? I He's did. Like, oh, I love this episode. It was awesome. I like. did. I'm like, did you did you hear the pause in my voice where I'm like, what am I saying right now? Ah, I gotta finish the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it is what it is. Uh, if you do want to get notified, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your name and email, and we'll notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes. Uh, just want to say thank you, Charlie. Thank you, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.